Hey, everyone. Well, welcome to our inaugural Princeton Christian Fellowship podcast Bible study. Um, I'm here today. My name is Anna, and I'm here with... I'm Brenea. And I'm Sky. And we're here to begin our study of Genesis through Revelation, uh, which is our year-long study in PCF. We're going to be looking at God's redemption and salvation as we track it through... Um, all the books of the Bible, not that we'll touch on all the books of the Bible, but we'll sort of do an overview from the beginning to the end, and we hope that this will be really helpful to you all. So first, we just want to hear, I just want to hear from you guys, what are you excited about this year? Why does this type of study of scripture excite you? I hope it excites you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I could start, I can start off. Um, You know, I think one reason that this really excites me is because, um, so maybe I'll start off with a story. I just remember sitting down with a student and saying like, hey, what are you reading in scripture? And she's like, I'm reading the whole Bible. Start at the beginning and I'm going to the end. And I'm like, oh, that's so exciting that you're diving into scripture. But then I also know how there are just themes and stories in the Bible that if you're not reading it in light of like the greater narrative, it could just feel like a lot of stuff. You know, like I know I've tried that and I can never get through like numbers, you know, if I can get that far, (laughs) you know, you get through the names and the lineage and you're like, whoa, this is a lot. So I'm really excited because, um, the Bible really is a story and it really is a love story. And so it's really nice to just kind of see it laid out in a way that we can all understand and appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I jump in there and just say, I think a couple of things that I'm really excited about is when you get to see, when you go from Genesis to Revelation, when you get to see kind of the whole Bible, um, you see that God has a plan. Um, And it it just, it really kind of ties each book together. And you see that God's not just making things up as he goes along. He's not just like, oh yeah, let's put this character in here. Um, He has a plan that he's working and he starts that plan in Genesis and he works that plan in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. And he keeps going all the way through the histories, the poetic books, the prophets, and then into the New Testament with Jesus. Um, And it's just so wonderful to see that plan and see that plan really all come together. And it comes together and it's pointing towards Jesus. So I think that's something I'm really excited about this study is that we get to see all of those different pieces come together. We get to see that plan that God is working um, and that he has worked and that he's continuing to work. So yeah, that's what I'd say I'm most excited about for the study. Yeah, and I'm kind of a PCF nerd in the sense of I still remember doing this study my freshman year <laughs> um, because P- at PCF we've done this a long time, versions of this study. And I grew up in a Christian home and I knew a lot of the Bible, but no one had ever really covered it in this way, in this sequence, in just one academic year, like let's put all the pieces together, all the Sunday school stories, like in in a narrative, like you guys, like you were saying, Brenea. So I just remember loving it when I was a freshman and now I teach it and I love teaching it. It's one of my favorite things to teach. So um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see the beauty of what God is doing throughout history as recorded in his scripture. So we're going to get started, but we're actually not going to start right away with Genesis 1. We're going to look, first of all, at two other creation myths. Um, So why are we going to look at these other myths? Well, because looking at another culture or religion's understanding of creation and the beginning of the world can teach us a lot about what that culture or that religion believes about God or gods. And so it sort of primes our pump to read Genesis 1 by providing a contrast 
um, to different worldviews. And the two that we're going to look at were prevalent in the Near Eastern culture during the time period when Genesis was written. So they're Babylonian and Egyptian uh, creation myths. So we want to read them and just think, what does this tell us about this religion's view of God or gods? And also the place of the world in our understanding of those things and the place of humanity. So first of all, we're going to read just a small excerpt from this epic poem called the Enuma Elish. Apologies to any Babylonians listening. My pronunciations <laughs> are not that great. Um, so we're just going to read two stanzas from that. So, and just listen for their view of, of God in the world. So this is, there's a battle between a god Marduk and he's defeating a rival god named Tiamat out of whose body he will fashion the world. Um, so Brene is going to start us reading. Valiant Marduk strengthened his hold on the vanquished gods and turned back to Tiamat, whom he had bound. The Lord trod on the legs of Tiamat. With his unsparing mace, he crushed her skull. When the arteries of her blood he had severed, then the Lord paused to view her dead body, that he might divide the form and do artful works. He split her like a shellfish into two parts. Half of her he set up as a covering for heaven pulled down the bar and posted guards. He bade them to allow not her waters to escape. When Marduk heard the words of the gods offering their service to him, his heart prompted him to fashion artful works. Opening his mouth, he addressed Ah to impart the plan he had conceived in his heart. I will take blood and fashion bone. I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Truly savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods, that they might be at ease. The ways of the gods I will artfully alter. Dang! <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty straight up, you know. I will make man so the gods will be at ease. Yes, yes. This is such a contrast to um, yeah. the image of God that we say laid out in Genesis 1. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the humans as servants. And then with an unsparing mace, he crushed her skull and then severed her body. And that's, that's the earth and that's the sky. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So just starting in violence, starting in war, blood, death, destruction. Yeah. um, Servitude. And a call to serve that's not rooted in love, you know, like we think we serve God, right? But like we serve him because he loves us and he loved us first, right? But this is like, I'm going to make you so that you serve me and you are mm-hmm. a savage, right? There is no being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also that creation piece, like you said, Anna, that creation out of the defeated God's body. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, Okay. It's just kind of like a byproduct of victory. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't have that plan, kind of that I love in the Bible. It didn't have that like f- thought out plan beforehand. It's just kind of like, okay, yeah, I have this victory. So now what will we do with this? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the main action is the drama between the gods and the creation of the earth and human beings is kind of just a byproduct um, mm-hmm. and doesn't really seem, yeah, planned or significant in a large sense. And that's almost, it reminds me, we're not going to read Greek myths, but it almost reminds me of Greek myths, which are just, you know, 
all the gods doing all their god stuff and human <laughs> beings are just kind of their a backdrop in the for background. That. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that, another one. Yeah. Yeah. So we're also going to look a little bit at an Egyptian view. And this I have to describe a sort of engraving for you that I think, you know, was found on a tomb somewhere because we have all those awesome Egyptian engravings. But this one is like if you did a slice and a cross section of the earth. So there's one body that's stretching over, um, creating like a bridge in a tunnel. And it's created, it has stars all over it. So that's the sky stretched over. And there's a boat going up the back of her legs, which is another god, which is the sun. There's a boat going down her arms, which is the moon. There's underneath her is the earth. And, <coughs> excuse me, and stretched out below her is like the sea, is a person covered all in fishes, and that's the god of the sea. And then there's the god of the atmosphere with his arms upraised, upholding the atmosphere. So just every element of the cross-section of the earth is assigned to a god. Um, so what are the implications of this for our understanding of God or the world? What what stands out to you guys? Yeah. I think the first thing that I noticed is just with all these multiple gods, um, and you talked about the God of the sky and the sun and the earth and the atmosphere. Um, and just really what stands out to me about that is that each of these gods are limited. Um, they only have one aspect that they have control over or power. Um, so it's just all of these limitations. Each one's only able to kind of influence one aspect of the world or of the universe in a way. Uh, so yeah, that's the first thing that jumps out for me, is that limitations of the gods. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you, Sky. Um, that that's really what stand out, stands out to me. This idea that like, okay, you were for the sea and you were for the atmosphere. Um, I mean, in, in one way I can... Um, I kind of pull out this like working together as one, right? Like if it was really like one God who was kind of mm -hmm. having different roles, but there's actually different, totally different gods who seem to be limited in their capacity. So, um, and yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, when we just think about like agrarian cultures, um, you know, it makes sense that, you know, like there is one for the air and one for the sea that like how that informed the way that they understood God. Um, so yeah, that's what sticks out to me. Yeah, and just sort of that these natural things are so correlated with God. Again, it's not quite that the tree is a God or it seems close to it, though. It's sort of just the physical things are the gods. That is the mystery. The mystery is the earth itself. Mm. Um, and that is the thing to worship and to talk to and intercede with. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's a little more it seems a little more peaceful, at least from this drawing. I don't know all about Egyptians, gods. I'm sure they also wore. I think they do. But it's a little more peaceful of an image, more harmonious, like you were saying, Brenea, but still got, the gods are limited um, and they're more closely associated with the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the one other thing, and um, Anna's described this drawing for us and something that you don't see in the drawing and you didn't hear in Anna's description is humankind. Hmm. Um, there's no relationship with humankind here. Um, it's just the creation, the cosmos, the universe is all about the gods. So that's just one other thing that you just is missing in this uh, creation account or this creation myth. It's a really great point. So Anna, can I ask you why we started off looking at these two? Yeah, 
I just, I think sometimes, particularly if you've read Genesis 1 before, it's hard to step back and maybe see it as unique or see what's so special about it. And I think by looking at these other two ways of looking at the world, we're starting to see some of the uniqueness of Christianity stand out. Um, because every every religion is going to answer three questions. They're going to answer, what is the nature of God or gods or the religious ultimate? They're going to answer, what is the nature of world and the world and humanity? And then they're going to provide some way of salvation or enlightenment or a way you should live. And so if, if we're coming from a Christian background, we might be so familiar with that or like just assume that, that it doesn't strike us as fresh. So I hope that looking at these things now as we read Genesis 1, we'll sort of see what stands out as unique and I think beautiful about the God of the Bible. Um, so to do that, let's let's do that. And let's go on to Genesis 1. So we're going to read the whole of Genesis 1 into chapter 2, verse 3. And there's going to be a lot of details in here about the days of creation and the birds and the fishes and uh, listen to all that, but really listen to what God is doing and what you can infer about God. If this was the first chapter that you read about God, you know, what would it teach you? Um, so with that in mind, uh, let's read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give them light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful 
and increase in number and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to his kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thank you, guys. I'm just excited to read this passage, especially after just the taste of like different worldviews. It is really a beautiful passage. So what struck you guys as sort of what does this teach us about God and what he's like and what the world is like? There's lots of things, but off the bat, what struck you? Yeah, so I really must say this did feel like a breath of fresh air in light of the other two um, creation myths that we that we just kind of discussed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, first off, I'm just like, you know, God's a boss. He's like, I want, I, you know, I want fruit, boom, fruit. You know, I want animals, boom, animals, separate the lights. You know, like God just says it and it's so. So I'm first struck by just his power, right? And the authority with which he moves, right? There is no kind of laboring. And that first story we hear this ripping apart to have to create. There is none of that, right? There is just that I say it is. And so it's so, so kind of just that. Um, confident, um, gentle authority. Um, so I'm really struck by that. But then I'm also struck by um, the beauty when um, we see him create man. And so he says, let us make mankind, right? Starting to talk within the Trinity. Let us make mankind. Like this mm-hmm. gentle, intentional reflection of, all right, now that this beautiful place is established, let me right bring my children and make them here. So yeah, I was really struck by um, just God's authority, um, but also then the intentionality in gifting um, the world to us as humans that he that he did. So, well, yeah, I was particularly I think just because you were highlighted at Sky, just God's intentionality was really standing out to me. And yeah, God, so God created mankind, 
then he blesses them, and then he gives them the earth. Yes. Like, what a wonderful series of three actions, like creating, blessing, and giving. There's no, like, stomping, taking, and and cursing, you know? It's just, he had a plan, and it was a plan for our good. So that that was really striking me. Yeah, and adding on to that, just how really all of these things with that, like you were saying, Anna, that creating... Um, that blessing, that kind of giving of these things. It just really shows that he cares, Mm. that he cares for humankind, that he loves them, that he wants a relationship. Um, And that's just, that really stands out um, because, yeah, he's not creating mankind to be his servants um, for his ease or his entertainment, um, but he's creating them so that he can love them. Um, and that care is just so evident. And it's also, it's evident in the ways we've already mentioned where he's blessing them and giving them, providing for them with food. Um, but it's also evident in it when it says that he creates male and female in his own image. Wow. Just that, that image, like you don't, you don't put your name on something. You don't put your mark on something that you don't like, oh, yeah. that you don't that's care good. for. Oh, I think that's something that yeah, it just really sits with me. It's like, okay, yeah, he's saying, I'm creating you and I'm giving you a piece of myself mm-hmm. um, and I care for you. I want to know you. Well, and it's also, this is not a creation story about God. God just is, right? In the beginning, God. Um, and there's no story about rival gods. There's no story about how he became king of the gods or anything like that. It's just his mm-hmm. existence is taken for granted. And that's going to remain true throughout all of scripture. I mean, there will be angels and they'll, it's, you know, Satan is an angel and there's some stories about that, but there's no rival gods um, in the scripture. It's just God himself, the eternal one, the unchangeable one. Um, and then he initiates all these actions. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really do love how God, um, I mean, how can you say it, but like sits in the confidence of who he is, right? You just like in the beginning, there was God. And then this is what he did, right? It's kind of just understood that God is, right? He's eternal. Um, but we also see it then at the end, right on the seventh day when, mm-hmm. you know, he saw all that he made and it was exceedingly good, right? And then God chooses to rest. Um, and like we talked about before, right, there was no um, nagging voice in the back of his mind saying, oh, if I work a little harder, I can improve things. If I did this or edit this here, there's more. He's just like, no, I'm stopping because I am God and I've said that it is good. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, that gives me like, wow, God, that he knows that he did it excellently. And when he made me, when he made you, when he made each and every one of us, that he said, it, we are exceedingly good. Um, it didn't feel like there was one thing that he wanted to change, right? That he was able to just kind of make us and rest, rest in that work. Um, so I'm like encouraged by that as I think about, wow, what that that means for us. Um, and then I'm also encouraged when I think about what it means for us is the way that we view our own work, right? Where we always feel like yeah. there's always something more to do. Um, and that when God calls us to create, that we get to co-create with God, whether that be in work or in school or, you know, something that we're doing for our family, an event, anything, um, that there is a time to say, okay, this was good. Um, even if it's not right in our humanness, exactly what we want it to be. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's something else that really kind of sticks out to me at the end of this passage. Well, and I think also just 
the category of good being introduced here. I mean, I know we're just con- we're just contributing or comparing it to a snippet from the Enuma Elish, but there it's just as like this happens like as a result of war, just or or the world is, you know, and we exist and the, there's a God of the air. We don't really know why. Is it good or bad? It just is. But this is, again, that God can say something is good, um, that he has the authority because he's the creator. And just like mm-hmm. if you if you make a painting and then you're like, this is good. I'm, I'm satisfied with this. I'm happy with this. Like I'm its creator. And so God kind of just has that role. There's someone to say this is good. Um, and we are a part of the good that he created. And then we also mirror him. And we're going to talk about that more next time um, about what it means to mirror him and be able to be moral beings who can do good things. Um, So Brene, you want to just share some questions that people can be thinking about? Yeah, for sure. Um, So this was a really encouraging time uh, because while we looked at two other creation myths, Genesis 1 is not just a creation myth, right? This is like the the ultimate authority that like God created the world, right? That's the truth that we're learning from this. Um, And so as we think about that, as you think about that throughout the week, or as you're thinking about going into Bible study and having this conversation, um, I want to invite us all to just think about like, how does it affect us day to day knowing that we were created? created by an all-powerful God and created with intention and created and God said that we are exceedingly good. So just thinking about that, um, like how does that affect us on a day-to-day basis? Um, so that's that's one thing I think we could be thinking about. Something else we can be thinking about is just, is there, you know, we just read the creation story. And I think for many of us, we like are like, oh, we know how the world was created according to the Bible, seven days. Okay, yeah, next thing, right? But when we read through it slowly, like we just did, you start to see like, wow, God did this with intention and there was a process. Um, so I, I want to invite us all to think about if there is a particular quality about God that is highlighted in the creation account um, that we might forget about um, or that might challenge the way that we usually think about God. Um, so that's just another invitation. So just read through the creation account or as you're coming into Bible Center reading, thinking about that, like what does this account tell me um, about who God is and how does this kind of um, impact the way that I already think about him or do, or do I need to expand the way that I view God as I consider him in light of creation? So thank you guys for joining us and Sky's going to sign us off. Um, so thank you, everyone, uh, who has been listening tonight. Brenea, Anna, thank you for discussing um, with me and just having this conversation on Genesis 1. Um, we do hope that all of you will join us in our small groups this week. Uh, and we really hope that you are a part of one of those. And if you aren't a part, or if you're interested in joining one of our small groups, uh, we do ask that you'd reach out because we would love to get connected with you. Um, and we would love to discuss this further. Uh, so with that... Uh, Thank you for listening, and we do hope to be in touch.